You are listening to a podcast produced by the New Zealand Centre for Political Research. Follow this and our other podcasts on nzcpr.com. Welcome to our podcast for the 15th of June 2023, presented by Dr. Muriel Newman. The government is proposing major changes to the control of free speech. All media will be affected, everything from social media channels like Facebook and Twitter to the mainstream media that have until now self-regulated their content. A new government regulator would have the power to remove content, close down sites and impose fines of up to $200,000. Is this the big brother that George Orwell warned about in his book 1984? Here's Muriel Newman. Just two weeks after becoming New Zealand's 41st Prime Minister, Chris Hipkins announced that Labour's proposed hate speech legislation would be withdrawn and the matter referred to the Law Commission. He explained that the Law Commission had a good track record of developing guidance on difficult issues. The real reason the legislation was dumped, however, was its unpopularity with voters. For a new Prime Minister, desperately trying to salvage an election win, abandoning it was the only sensible thing to do. When asked by the media about the timing of the government's proposed regulation of social media, Prime Minister Hipkins confirmed that no changes had been made. He said it will continue to progress on the timetable it was on before. We now know that the Department of Internal Affairs timetable was for a 1st of June announcement and eight weeks of public consultation. Their proposal is called Safer Online Services and Media Platforms. The immediate response from the public was to describe the proposal as hate speech by the back door. These new regulations will not only cover the New Zealand public, social media companies, online platforms, films and gaming, but the mainstream media as well. Why such a controversial crackdown on free speech would be released so close to an election is hard to fathom, especially as any legislation would not be introduced until 2024 and only if Labour is returned to government. Perhaps the inexperienced new minister and first-term MP Barbara Edmonds didn't recognise the political danger. The Department of Internal Affairs proposal is far-reaching. It involves the establishment of a new Big Brother regulator with the power to control what can and cannot be discussed online by all media organisations that have an annual audience of more than 100,000 New Zealanders or a mailing list that reaches 25,000 or more subscribers. That regulator will set the rules without the scrutiny of Parliament or input from the public, and they will be given the power to force compliance by imposing fines of up to $200,000 and orders to take down offending content. Their rules would override the new Aotearoa New Zealand Code of Practice for Online Safety and Harms 
developed by NetSafe for the big tech companies including Facebook, Google and Twitter, and the Harmful Digital Communications Act. It would also replace a range of long-established statutory and self-regulatory bodies, including the Broadcasting Standards Authority, the Media Council, the Advertising Standards Authority, and the work of the Chief Censor. The new regime smacks of jackbooted totalitarianism, as freelance journalist Janet Wilson explains. Quote, in George Orwell's dystopian novel 1984, the citizens of Oceania are watched everywhere they go through telescreens by the ruling party's leader, Big Brother. Like 1984, it breeds a world where paranoia and cynical distrust reign supreme, where it's enough for someone to complain that they don't feel safe, which will bring that content provider under the auspices of the regulator will then examine the provider's safety plan. If that safety plan is found wanting for whatever reasons, if you are deemed to have offended, then watch out. The weaponization of the complaints process is complete. The regulator has the power to take down your content and fine you. Mr Orwell couldn't have designed a more labyrinthine system that robs the population of their greatest power, the ability to express themselves. End quote. As if this is not frightening enough, the regulator would also be under the influence of Labour's racist agenda. The consultation paper states, It's important that the new regulatory framework reflects New Zealand's unique cultural and social perspectives and that it's grounded in titiriti o waitangi. The new regulatory framework would aim to achieve outcomes that reflect Māori perspectives, needs and aspirations. They expect a significant Māori presence on the board of the regulator and recommend a formal Māori advisory structure. They also suggest Māori should be involved in creating codes of conduct that reflect cultural values and include cultural competency requirements. A hint of where this could lead can be seen in the new social media code of practice developed by NetSafe last year. Quote, The code has been developed in consultation with Māori advisors. The intention and development of the code is encapsulated by four key Māori principles which are critical and necessary to realising the purpose and aspirations of the code. End quote. Since Māori will be in a position to significantly influence Labour's new media regulator, it doesn't take much imagination to conclude that commentary regarded as critical of their agenda, like challenging their treaty partnership myth, co-governance and hipurpur, will be considered unsafe and harmful hate speech and targeted for heavy regulation. The Māori influence in all regulations and legislation now produced by the Labour government can be traced back to the powerful Office for Māori Crown Relations that was established in 2018 in collaboration with iwi leaders. The Herald's senior political journalist, Audrey Young, provided an insight into this powerful organisation last year, pointing out that the minister had instructed it to operate under the radar. As a result, most people are unaware of its existence despite the profound influence it is having 
as the vehicle Labour's Maori caucuses using to embed co-governance throughout the country. It is the Office for Maori Crown Relations that is forcing public service chief executives to establish cultural competency targets for all staff, but it's also responsible for imposing a Maori veto over all government policy. Audrey Young reports that in 2019, the Cabinet Office issued a new circular for its ministers and chief executives to apply whenever new policy is being developed to ensure it is compliant with the treaty. Their mandate has now been expanded to cover any organisation connected to the government in any way. As a result, treaty and cultural competency requirements are now appearing throughout the private sector as well as the public sector, as New Zealand is being transformed into an apartheid nation where a Maori worldview dominates. This can be seen only too clearly in the proposal from the New Zealand Transport Agency to introduce almost 100 bilingual traffic signs. Cultural sensitivities now appear to have become more important to the NZTA than road safety. When asked to explain why Māori is displayed as the dominant language in the signs when 97% of motorists do not speak Māori, the agency said, quote, One of the design principles for bilingual traffic signs is for te reo Māori to be presented in a culturally appropriate way to reflect the mana of the language. Where te reo Māori and English text cannot be displayed as equal, then te reo Māori should be given prominence. Given that te reo Māori is used less than English throughout Aotearoa New Zealand, Waka Kotahi is of the view that it needs to be promoted if it is to achieve equality with English in New Zealand. End quote. Submissions on the bilingual traffic sign debacle close on Friday the 30th of June and the closing date for submissions on Labour's new hate speech proposal is the 31st of July. Full details for both can be found on nzcpr.com. These two government consultation processes illustrate how out of touch the Labour government has become. Cultural matters like traffic signs are now regarded as mainstream, while mainstream issues are falling into disarray with a crisis in healthcare, falling education standards and crime out of control. Meanwhile, the stream of ministerial controversies just keeps growing. We've had the sacking of Stuart Nash for disclosing confidential cabinet information, the desertion of Mecca Fightery to the Maori Party, the reprimand of Justice Minister Kerry Allen for attacking Radio New Zealand after her fiancé missed a top job, the stuff-up over the census with Statistics Minister Deborah Russell now retracting her promise to resign if she didn't reach her 90% response target, the hauling of Education Minister Jan Tanetti in front of the Privileges Committee for Misleading Parliament, and the unfolding saga of the River of Filth Transport Minister Michael Wood and his ongoing failure to publicly disclose and sell his Auckland airport shares. There is now a growing perception of incompetent ministers ignoring the rules and leadership failure at the highest level. 
The Cabinet Office told Michael Wood to comply 12 times over a two-year period. How many times does a minister need to be asked before being required to comply? All of this paints a dismal picture of a woeful government completely out of its depth and doing untold damage to our country, as this week's NZCPR guest commentator Frank Newman encapsulates in his narrative, If I Wanted New Zealand to Fail. Quote, If I wanted New Zealand to fail, to suffer, not prosper, to despair, not dream, I would start with democracy itself. I would say it's not working. I'd say that a House of Representatives that reflects all people does not suit a modern society. I'd call it old-fashioned. I'd say everyone is equal, but some are more equal than others. If I wanted New Zealand to fail, I'd make bold promises then hire an army of spin doctors to make excuses when things go wrong. I'd make the independent media financially dependent on the government so that instead of holding the politicians to account, the government's narrative becomes their narrative. If I wanted New Zealand to fail, I would prey on the goodness and decency of ordinary New Zealanders. I would only need to convince them that all of this is for the greater good that politicians are the answer to their problem, not the cause. If I wanted New Zealand to fail, I wouldn't change a thing. End quote. The full narrative can be seen on nzcpr.com. Finally, we are pleased to announce that our ambitious project to print and deliver free copies of Saraparana Nata's explanation of the Treaty of Waitangi to New Zealand households is now underway. A trained lawyer and Member of Parliament for 39 years, Sir Aparana Nata is one of New Zealand's most respected Māori leaders and the face of our $50 banknote. His clear and concise explanation of the treaty was written in the Māori language in 1922 in response to questions about its meaning. 41 years later, with questions still remaining, Sarapurana's explanation was translated into English and distributed free of charge to Māori households as an insert in a government magazine. Another 40 years on, with the debate continuing and the treaty being reinterpreted, we are distributing Sarapurana's explanation to Kiwi households to set the record straight about the treaty's original meaning. Our project is in two parts. The first is printing Saraparana's explanation in a format that allows for mass distribution to an estimated 1.4 million households, namely as a quality insert in the country's newspaper network. And the second part involves printing 10,000 copies of the explanation as an A5 booklet to send to libraries and selected schools. Thanks to the generosity of NZCPR readers, we have raised sufficient funding to print the 10,000 booklets and 500,000 of the inserts. Accordingly, we're now launching an urgent fundraiser to cover the cost of printing and distributing the balance of the inserts. If you would like to support this project to set the record straight on the original meaning of the treaty, then please visit our fundraising page, 
www.nzcpr.com backslash treaty dash book dash project. That's www.nzcpr.com backslash treaty dash book dash project. Complimentary copies of the A5 booklet will be available to those who donate to this important project. That's it for this week. Don't forget to visit www.nzcpr.com if you'd like to register for our free newsletter, take part in our poll or access a treasure chest of valuable information. See you soon. Bye. This podcast has been brought to you by NZCPR Media.